Hey, welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you every week to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today's part two of how to make your life count. And we're going to be looking at how action-oriented people make this life count. Last week, we looked at being a Christ-centered leader. We looked up. This week, we're looking down. We're looking at the mission-driven lifestyle of the spiritual leader as he or she makes a difference in helping pull the lost out of the pit. Great leaders live and model a lifestyle that others only talk about. I'm a dad of three. You know one thing I hate? I hate when I ask my kids to do something and then I have to do it myself. Whether it's the garbage, I'll say, hey, please take out the trash. Two days later, trash is still there. It's not getting done. It, it just burns me up. But God has the same exact feeling at times when he's looking for co-workers. In Ezekiel chapter 22, starting in verse 29, Ezekiel 22, verse 29, God says this, The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 3, Isaiah 63, verse 3, God says, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance, the year for me to redeem had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath, I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. Isaiah fifty nine fifteen. Isaiah fifty nine fifteen says, Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. In this final passage, God himself is coming to the earth, Jesus the Redeemer. And as you read those passages, as you hear God's voice, you feel the sadness, the frustration, the anger he must feel when he looks at this world and how messed up it is, but he's got no one who'll join him in the work. He's appalled. He's shocked. He's displeased that there's no justice, that there's no one to help him out, no one taking action. And how much God must feel that today when he looks around and he looks for those who are willing to work along with him to bring this world into the light. 
Great leaders are defined by a bias for action. One of the distinguishing qualities of growing leaders is a determination to act. That's their first instinct, is I'm going to do something. He or she gets things done. I love what Theodore Roosevelt says. He's such an inspiration to me. But he said in his autobiography, get action, do things, be sane, don't fritter away your time, create, act, take a place wherever you are and be somebody, get action. Man, he was truly a man of action, just a bundle of energy, always doing something. And he really did so much here in America as a president in the early part of the 1900s. It said about Gandhi, his biographer, Lewis Fisher, said this, Some had spoken as well as he or better. Gandhi's greatness lay in doing what others might do but don't. Gandhi put to shame many Christian ministers that were visiting India and trying to do missionary work in India. Because where others talked about it, Gandhi did it. He fasted. He worked hard. He sacrificed. He gave, he gave for the people. And so he, he, the biographer says he was, you know, other people are actually better speakers than he. But his greatness was he actually did what others could do, but they just don't do it. You see, that's how you distinguish yourself as a leader, whether you're a young guy coming up and you want to grow and you're thinking about ministry, or you're a middle-aged person and you're thinking, hey, I want to, I want to do something else. It's all about what you do. It's not what you know. I know a lot of people that know a lot of stuff about a lot of scriptures, a lot of stuff. It doesn't make them good leaders. They know a lot of stuff, but they don't do a lot of stuff. How did Jesus change the world in three years? He had an action orientation. In Acts chapter 10, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. When Peter was trying to summarize the life and ministry of Jesus to Cornelius, that's a big task, but he was able to do it in one short paragraph. In fact, he, went, he did it in one verse. He says, he went around doing good. How was Jesus known? He went around doing good and healing. He was a man of action. That's what he did. And that's how he was known to Peter. And that's how he communicated him to others. If that doesn't convince you, take a look at King David. Take a look at how his life was summarized in Acts chapter 13 in verse 22. Acts 13, 22. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. How does the Bible define a person after God's own heart? Well, that person does everything calls them to do. When we think about David, he said he, he had a heart after God. But what was it that distinguished him as, the, as a heart after God? He was willing to do everything God wanted him to do. There was action involved. He was a man of action. Poet, warrior, king. He did stuff. 
Sometimes we get confused. I want to be a person after God's heart. We hear that word heart, we think emotion. We think feeling, which is certainly one component, but it's far more than that. It's a being a person who has a bias for action. Now, some of us might react and go, isn't that a little bit too works-oriented? Works you know, we shouldn't be so devoted to just doing works. We'll, we'll get off track. Well, let's look at how this concept of action orientation ties back to what we learned last week about being a Christ-centered leader. Because great leaders tap into deep wells of motivation. Let's consider Paul. What motivated him to do all the good work he did? It was grace. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Paul shares about himself. He says, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul spoke plainly, I worked harder than them all. And he attributed it to one thing, God's grace. There is no conflict between being Christ-centered and hardworking. In fact, a person who truly understands grace should bear fruit in all kinds of productive activity. God's grace creates a deep love in our hearts for God and people. I want to ask you, are you an action-oriented person? Is grace inspiring you to take action? It certainly did for Paul, and it sh certainly should for us. If Paul can't convince you, let's take a look at Abraham's example of faith and action. In James chapter 2, in verse 20, James 2, verse 20, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. When it came to Abraham, he was a righteous man through faith. But that faith was made complete by what he did. He was a man of action. The promise that came to him in Genesis chapter 15 was fulfilled in Genesis chapter 22 when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. His faith was one that was revealed in an active lifestyle. So for Paul, for Abraham, for Jesus, all of them action-oriented. That's the way we should be as well. What are some action killers? What, what snuffs out a life of action? I think top of the list is fear, laziness, and indifference. Fear, laziness, and indifference. In Judges chapter 5, in verse 15, they're commenting on the lack of responsiveness of some of the tribes to the call of Deborah. When they were, when they were called to fight, some of the tribes of Israel did not respond to the, to the battle cry. They stayed at home. And so he says here in verse 15 of Judges 5, the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. 
Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. Issachar jumped in. They got into the battle. But there were tribes like Reuben, Gilead, uh, Reuben and Dan, and they just stayed. They didn't, they didn't jump up. Asher remained on the coast. When the time came to take action, these people searched their heart. They, they stayed around. They did other things. Now, we've all experienced times when we didn't answer the call of God. And we hung out at home instead of rallying around God's banner. I remember every fall when I was a student at UC Berkeley, every fall we'd, at the beginning of the school year, we'd go out sharing. And I remember just, oh, I don't want to go. I'm scared. I don't want to get out there and share my faith. And UC Berkeley is not the easiest place to share. People are certainly not afraid to let you know what they think about Christianity, organized religion. But it was tempting for me just to stay at home. But fear, laziness, and indifference are action killers. These are, these are the opposites of faith and love. Fear is the opposite of faith. And laziness and indifference is the opposite of love. It's been said that whoever loves much does much. When you're loving and you're passionate, you want to do stuff. You want to take action. You know, it's interesting. We'll, we'll have servant evangelism activities here in Tucson. And... I would think, you know, as a disciple, you'd want to be out there. You're basically passing out slushies or gum or different things. It's very easy to do this, but inevitably, we only get about 15 or 20% of our church to show. If I can get 20% to show up, that's an awesome day of sharing. But there are many who just stay home. They search their hearts, and they've got other things going on, and they're not necessarily bad people. But this is typical. There's times when the battle battle cry goes out, but we stay home. When there's a serving activity, a lot of people stay home. Maybe that's you. When there's an extra extra fellowship, oh, I don't want to go to that. I'm going to stay home and watch TV. Do you show up? If you want to be a person that makes a difference in this life, you got to show up. You got to push past the fear, push past the laziness, and push past the indifference. Are you a person who shows up? One, one person that's inspired me recently... I'm recording this during the coronavirus crisis in April of uh, 2020, is a man named Daniel DiCochea Jr. He's a young man, he's only 25, just recently graduated from the University of Arizona, but he is a man of action. He is so um, inspiring to me. Gets up often about 2.45 in the morning. He's, he, there's a lot to say. I, I'll just say this. He's organizing our local hope chapter. And one of the things that he put together all on his own is a way to make personal protective equipment, specifically clear face masks to protect medical personnel. And so he got all of the sponsors for it. He put together all of the material. He got all the scissors, everything necessary to produce it, all the tables, even found a place that would allow us to meet there for free so that we could go there a couple times a week and put together this equipment. He organized the whole thing. He's a total man of action. And that shows so much love. He's got a love for God, and he's got a deep love for people. That's what God is looking for in, in his leadership. 
Are you that type of a person? Now, it's funny because this is so inspiring that we had three TV stations come down and cover it when we organized this. And yet still, a lot of people stay home. And I understand that it's because of the social distancing, but we do follow social distancing practices. But a lot of people still stay home. And I know there's some that can't because of, of health issues, but it always surprises me because I wonder what, what could be better than making a difference as a disciple, especially during a time of crisis. What else is an action killer? Well, certainly uh, fear, but fruitless activity is an action killer. John Wesley is the father of the Methodist movement. And at one time, the Methodist church was the fastest growing church in the world. And he was a powerful man of God. But he was speaking to his non-paid ministers. And he was an early advocate of, of having ministers that were not paid, not professionals, but just lay people that would preach the word. And he said to them, you have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And go always, not only to those that want you, but to those that want you most. Observe, it is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance, and with all your power to build them up in that holiness holiness without which they cannot see the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying that as a church grows, as the movement gets older, we can easily get busy with things that don't contribute toward the salvation of souls. We can get busy with the things that don't strengthen those who've repented and been baptized. It's not, it, as, as Christians... We can get so busy doing a lot of different stuff. But we always have to go back to ask ourselves, am I being spent in the work of saving souls? That's what matters. Am I building people? Am I discipling people in the Lord Jesus? Am I, am I strengthening people to, to go out and multiply and make more disciples? He says, if you're not doing that, that's not your business. It's not your business to get involved in all sorts of church work. But instead, stay focused on the main thing. Larger churches, they take a lot to run them, to set up, to break down. There's a lot of moving parts with large churches, and it's so tempting and so easy to do good work at the expense of the most important work. Older ministries, they get into a routine. I want to ask you, are you hiding out? Are you... Are you involved in fruitless activity. Yeah, you're busy, you're working hard, you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed, but you're not making disciples. There's a man in our church named Justin Wood. He's a parajumper for the U.S. Air Force. And he was, last year he won an award as one of the top uh, engagements. Basically, he was a, an example of the entire Air Force. And he went into action rescuing uh, people who are fighting in the Middle East, our troops, against uh, some terrorists. And he was telling me that he, he went into the fighting, he was in a helicopter, and he looked out and he could see the mortars from the enemy lines coming up and exploding. And his helicopter had this 50 caliber machine gun, was shooting down at the enemy. And his job is to rescue downed uh, soldiers, pilots, different things like that. He's trained, he's an amazing man, trained along with his buddy, Seth. And so he went in and rescued people and, and brought people back who were injured. 
at the same time, he was reaching out to his buddy in the same unit named Seth. And during this time, when he's having all this fighting and everything, he was studying the Bible with Seth during that time. He didn't say, hey, I can't do it. You know, we'll do this after I get done with this mission. He would come back after a mission to his, his uh, forward operating base or whatever you call it, and he would study the Bible with Seth. Seth came back. They finished that mission safely, praise God, came back, and Seth got baptized. And now Seth is making disciples. There's an example of a person that's not making excuses, who's keeping the main thing the main thing, who understands that he has nothing to do but to save souls. Let me leave you with some next steps and some, some thoughts. This week, take action to save a soul. If you've been in getting involved in a whole bunch of other things, get into a Bible study in the next seven days. Invite someone to your online service. Put it out there on Facebook or Instagram. Invite people. If you're, if you're still meeting online, hey, just invite somebody. Set up a Zoom Bible study. Take action to strengthen a soul. Meet, encourage, and strengthen a brother or sister in the next seven days. There's a woman in our church named Val Posada, and she's just doing a fantastic job. But during this time, man, she's having discipling groups. She's strengthening the sisters in her ministry. She's going for it. Nothing is holding her back from the work of God. Here's a final thing. Make a stop doing list. What activities are keeping you from doing the things that God wants you to do? What's keeping you distracted? What's keeping you from answering God's call to action? What's keeping you away from the battle? What excuses are you making? I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to produce a weekly podcast inspiring you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoy this program, I'd like to ask you to rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Have a great day and make this life count.